The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. This afternoon, so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to the book of Proverbs. We're looking at Proverbs chapter 29, verses 15 through 27. Let's not give our attention to God's Word as He addresses us, His people. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will look upon their downfall. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. By mere words, a servant is not disciplined, for though he understands, he will not respond. You see a man who is hasty in his words, there is more hope for a fool than for him. Whoever pampers his servant from childhood will, will in the end find him his heir, or he will see himself as the heir. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes transgression. Once pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. The partner of a thief hates his own life. He hears the curse, but discloses nothing. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Many seek the face of a ruler. But it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, but one whose way is straight is an abomination to the wicked. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. May he add his blessing now to his word. Well, when you come to a crossroads where you could choose either to sin or choose not to sin, why do you choose not to sin? Some of the reasoning or rationale or thought process that goes through your mind. Well, there could be a number of thoughts, number of reasons that come to our mind, such as, I could get in trouble for this. Uh, this might cost me some money. I might get sued. Uh, I might get a ticket. I might make my spouse mad. I'm going to look bad before others and might be ashamed. And these are all consequences. And indeed, wisdom does involve considering the consequences. That's one of the things the book of Proverbs has focused in on when it comes to what path we choose. What are the consequences going to be? However, this is the same thing we share in common with unbelievers. Unbelievers, too, will use this as reasons for not expressing their sin. I might get another ticket. I might look bad before others. I might make others mad. This is what is commonly referred to as the second use of the law. That is, the consequences of the law restrain sin. 
And while this is a consideration for God's people, we are to go beyond this. We are to go at a deeper level. We are to go at a heart level. We are called to trust the Lord, to hate sin, to love righteousness, because of what He has done for us. And that is ultimate wisdom. So we're going to look at three factors for putting away sin. And the first is this, discipline. Verse 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So discipline of children is really one of the first restraints on sin that we face uh, in our life. And this is something that has consistently come up in the book of Proverbs, which indicates its importance. And there's two main reasons that Proverbs places an emphasis on this. First, Proverbs 22.15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Now, children are not born good little angels. They're just born without much ability to express their sin. As Psalm 51 says, we were conceived in sin. We inherit that sinful nature from Adam. This is why you don't need to teach children to sin. You need to teach them away from that. I still remember one pastor. He would look at a baby, say, baby's very sweet, but he or she is a viper in a diaper. And this makes discipline necessary. Uh, the second reason why Proverbs emphasizes this is because there's a reluctance among parents to discipline. We see this especially in Proverbs 23, 13 through 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. So the way Proverbs has been exhorting us, don't withhold discipline indicates that there is a reluctance among us to discipline or to withhold and to withhold discipline. And so verse 15 argues that whereas discipline gives wisdom, that is it teaches the child consequences. It teaches restraint. Whereas discipline gives wisdom, leaving the child to him or herself that is not being faithful to discipline brings shame to the mother. The child is going to be an embarrassment to the mother. But we read the opposite in verse 17. Discipline your, your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. So whereas lack of discipline brings shame, it brings embarrassment, discipline gives you rest, gives your heart rest. Generally speaking, these aren't absolute promises. These are general. Your heart's going to be at rest in that you don't need to worry or be anxious about what your child is doing or that he or she is bringing heartache to you. The child will bring your heart delight and joy. Now, going back to verse 15, let's notice two things stated there. You have rod, you have reproof. Discipline involves both consequences, so that's the rod, and then 
words or instruction that's reproof. It's not always just saying stop doing that, but it also involves instruction and guiding and teaching and correction. So it's more than just reactionary, uh, just responding to bad behavior. Discipline also involves sitting down, putting your arm around them, as it were, and helping them to understand, to direct, to guide, and to teach. And this is especially the case as they get older. As they get older, the discipline uh, needs to, to change. You can't just pull out the rod. You have to instruct. You have to use different consequences, especially as they enter into adulthood and their bodies begin to change. Parents, we need to guide them and instruct them in this and not leave them to themselves. But we also need to keep in mind this, that discipline and instruction is not just for us to avoid embarrassment or to give our hearts joy. Rather, we need to keep in mind that we are doing it for their good, uh, for their benefit, out of love for them. Now, while words are an important part of disciplining children, uh, mere words is insufficient. We see this in verse 19. By mere words, a servant is not disciplined, for though he understands, he will not respond. Now, discipline of a servant is referring to corporal punishment of a slave, which is what they had back then. But the point is that he's saying words alone are insufficient. There must be consequences along with words. Uh, we see this with Eli's son. He rebuked his sons. He used words, but his sons did not change. They understood the words. He wasn't speaking a different language, but they did not respond, which is exactly what we see here. And so this applies to children. They must not only receive words, they must also receive consequences. This applies to our justice system. Evildoers must be punished in order to restrain evil in the society. And this applies to employers and bosses. There are times for verbal reprimands, and then there are times for consequences. Suspension, demotion, so forth and so on. And we see that a refusal to to give consequences does not end well. Look at verse 21. Whoever pampers his servant from childhood will in the end find him his heir. Now this is very difficult to translate because there's two words in this one proverb that are only used here in the entire Bible. And so that makes its meaning difficult to determine. But given what we have just been reading in the context here in Proverbs, pampering a, a pampering someone from childhood is a negative thing. And so what the ESV translates as heir here likely means that he will see himself as the heir. This servant, the slave, is going to see himself as the son worthy of the inheritance. And so this particular Hebrew word can also be translated as insolent or thankless. But here's the bottom line. You spoil someone. They're going to turn out to be a spoiled brat. Those who do not receive consequences and are pampered end up with a spirit of entitlement, which is what we are witnessing in our society. And this brings us to a second factor for putting away sin, and that is increase. We just saw first discipline, now second increase. That is, sin increases if it is not dealt with. 
Verse 16. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will look upon their downfall. So as the wicked increase, as more and more people become wicked or express their wickedness, and the more the wicked are put in authority, the more transgressions increase. The more wickedness is embraced and becomes normalized, the more it is encouraged and increased. And one of the restraints of sin in a civil society is that that sin is unacceptable by the populace. And this is why one of the goals of the wicked is to make perversity acceptable and even celebrated while any dissenters become the outcasts. But we need to keep in mind what verse 27 says. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, but one whose way is straight is an abomination to the wicked. For those who are righteous by the grace of God, who have turned from their sin by the work of God's Spirit and have trusted in Christ and are walking in God's ways, even though they may be imperfect, wickedness of unjust men is an abomination. Think of Lot. Righteous Lot, it says in Second Peter, his soul was tormented by the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. However, the opposite is true. Wicked men hate those whose way is straight, who walk in the straight and narrow, who walk in righteousness, like Cain who hated Abel because his deeds were evil while Abel's was righteous. It was too exposing and afflicting to his conscience to see Abel's righteous deeds. And their consciences get afflicted. They want to do away with the righteous way in order to justify their sinful desires. And so as Christ told his disciples, know that the world will hate you. But here's some encouragement. The end of verse 16. The righteous will look upon their downfall. Uh, Literally, this is the righteous will look upon their dead carcasses. Just as Abraham looked upon the smoke rising from Sodom and Gomorrah, and the people of Israel looked upon the dead bodies floating on the shore of the Red Sea, the Egyptians, so also will those who are in Christ look upon the judgment of the wicked. So we take comfort in the fact that even though the wicked increase, they will not last much longer. Their judgment is sure. God wins. Our Lord has got this. He is in control. And we will soon see the judgment on the wicked. But we also need to be reminded that we have looked upon our judgment that we deserve for our wickedness when we've looked upon Christ on the cross. There that naked, bleeding man, treated shamefully, bearing the wrath of God, is what we should have gotten for our sin. And if it wasn't for this, we would face the same fate as the wicked. Now one of the ways that transgressions increase is when people themselves are guilty and therefore don't want to do what's right. Look at verse 24. The partner of a thief 
hates his own life. He hears the curse, but discloses nothing. So this is someone who divides the spoil with the thief. At least this is referring to someone who knowingly receives stolen property. Our verse says that he hates his life. Not that he's cognitively hating himself, but rather the path he's walking is destructive. And so it's as if he hates himself. He's doing himself harm by living in sin. And the rest of the verse goes on to say that he hears a curse, but discloses nothing. Now what this is referring to is that back then, when somebody discovered that somebody had stolen something from them, that their property is missing, they would bring it to the elders of the city, and then the elders would declare, kind of like a public subpoena, if anyone has any information about this, they need to come forward, and if they don't, they will be cursed. And so the force or weight behind this was a curse. If they did not come forward, they would be cursed by God. And so when the thief, or the one who's with the thief, hears this, he's not going to say anything, because he too is guilty. And so we see that when people themselves are guilty of sin, they tend not to speak against it. Now the opposite is speaking rashly. Verse 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now this is someone who does not think before he speaks because he's wise in his own eyes. Whatever I think must be right, so I'll just spit it out. And this is in line then with Proverbs 26.12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. This is someone who doesn't really listen to what others are saying. Why do I need to listen? I'm not going to learn anything. I already know it all. As you are speaking, he's, consider- he's not thinking about what you're saying or hearing what you're saying. He's thinking about his response. And his response is not in consideration of the one to whom he speaks, but just whatever he feels like saying, even if they are like sword thrusts. This also applies to someone who does not have control over his or her own tongue. They are very sharp and condescending towards others. Their tongues are skilled in cutting others down rather than building others up. They are given over to anger. Therefore, do not have control over their tongues because they do not have control over their spirits. And this leads into verse 22. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. So a man of wrath or a person of wrath is a person who does not have control over his anger, but rather someone who is controlled by his or her anger. And that one stirs up strife, does not create peace, but creates conflict, division, quarreling. However, because anger is very blinding, the person usually believes he's justified in his anger. It usually flows out of this sense of justice. I'm in the right, you all are in the wrong, therefore it's everyone else's fault. But like the increase of the wicked, increasing transgression, so His or her anger, as our verse says, causes much transgression. So, sin is put away by first, discipline. Second, because it increases if it's not dealt with. Third, and finally, putting away sin should come from the heart. 
verse 18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Now, this is referring to the word of God in the heart. Now, this verse has been sorely taken out of context in our day. Vision has been taken to mean the exciting direction or goal of a church that the lead pastor sets. And if he does not have that vision, then it all falls apart. Christ can't build his church apart from the pastor's great vision. However, this is not talking about vision in the sense of direction, but rather vision here refers to the word of God spoken by the prophets. This same word for vision here is used in Isaiah 1.1 to refer to the entire book of Isaiah, where it says the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw. And that's why the ESV translates this as prophetic vision. The word of God declared by his appointed ministers. What this is saying is where there is no prophetic vision, that means where there is no declaring of the word of God, that is when things fall apart. In fact, God declared this as a judgment in Amos 8.11. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And When there is no declaration of the word of God, that is when the people cast off restraint. This uh, Hebrew word, cast off restraint here, is literally break loose. And this is used in Exodus 32.25 to describe the people when they made a golden calf and participated in pagan worship in eating and drinking and rising up to play, this, this sexual debauchery. It says there in Exodus 32.25, For Aaron had let them break loose, so that's the same word used here, to the derision of their enemies. So you look at the Hebrew words here and where else they're used in the Scripture, we see that this is referring to the Word of God and breaking loose when the Word of God is not declared. Now today, people do not receive continuing revelation from God. There are no longer any inspired words from God. Rather, there is only illumination, understanding, explaining, and applying the inspired written word of God that we have in the Bible alone. God no longer gives us apostles and prophets. God gives us pastors and teachers. And so how this verse is fulfilled then is that this is done through preaching by ministers called of God through the recognition and appointment of the church. And if the word of God is not faithfully and deeply proclaimed and applied to the people, God, then there is a letting loose, a running wild. The church and the people descend into transgressions because they are greatly starved spiritually. And we, we kind of do see that in, in certain churches where it's built upon the personality, charisma, and vision of one man. You remove that man, everything falls apart. But when there is faithful proclamation of the Word of God, you remove that man, 
it doesn't fall apart. Another person comes in and declares the same word. And so, as we see at the end of our verse, blessed are those who keep it, that is, keep the word of God. This is how true transformation from the heart and casting off sin occurs. And so the church must be committed to the clear proclamation of the word of God. And the people must receive it with a humble heart. And we see that in verse 23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. So if you are proud, you view yourself highly, you will be brought low. But if you are low in spirit, you will be brought high. Pride is to think highly of yourself. I'm pretty great. I don't need to listen or be corrected. I do not need to learn anything. I have great discernment. And I will trust in myself for all things. I can do whatever I want because I am right in my own eyes. I do not need to consider what anyone else has to say. I will do my own thing. But humility only comes through the gospel. Did you notice from our proverb here, it says lowly in spirit. That is lowly in heart. Truly, when no one's eye is on you, this is not saying just masking pride so that people don't see your pride while you have a proud heart within, just an outward display of humility. Rather, this is a truly humble heart, a heart that recognizes, I do not have what it takes. I must depend upon God and the means he uses And receive it with a humble heart. And it's only the gospel that brings this about. Because the gospel declares to us, apart from Christ, you can do nothing. And so we must rely fully on Christ for a righteousness not of our own. We must rely on His perfect law keeping in our place. Relying on His obedience alone. For our standing before God. We depend fully on His achievements. That's what happens in the gospel. We're not called to achieve anything. We are called to rely on the achievements of another. And and add nothing to that. And when we sin. When we fall into sin. We, while we grieve. We do not depend on our grieving. We do not depend on our suffering. As if our suffering in any way makes up. For any of our sin, we don't afflict ourselves, withhold comforts from ourselves, beat ourselves up as if that atones or cancels out the slightest sin. There's only one person's suffering alone that fully deals with all our sin. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. While we grieve over our sin because it's an offense to a holy God especially the God that has done so much for us and has loved us with perfect love, and we sin against Him, yes, that should cause us to be broken before Him. But we don't rely on anything we do to make up for sin. Rather, we rely fully on the achievements of Christ, even His achievement in 
being crucified and us being united to him in his life, death, burial, and resurrection so that we who were once slaves of sin are no longer slaves but are freed only because of the work and achievement of Christ. And so any obedience we, we walk in comes because of our union with Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. We obey from life, not for life, based on the achievements of Christ, not in order to achieve any righteous standing of our own. When we look at verse 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So the fear of man here is where our actions are, are only driven by what men think of us. What we do and say stems from how someone might perceive us. And so rather than our actions being driven by the fear of the Lord, where we stand in awe of Him, and we don't want to sin against him, regardless of whether or not men's eyes are on us, our actions are driven by how men will regard us. And so rather than walking in the fear of the Lord, we walk in the fear of men. We do things to get the praise of men, secretly hoping that they will recognize our good deeds and are fearful of looking bad, being judged by them, being rejected by them. Now, while fear of man may restrain outward expressions of sin, yet, as our verse says, it turns out to be a sneer. It's not genuine. You've, ta- you've been taken captive by the opinions of men, always wondering what they're thinking of you, how they're judging you, whether or not you get rejected or accepted. It really becomes a covenant of works, very workspace where you're performing to please working to be accepted and to keep people's acceptance. But the opposite of this is trusting the Lord, as our verse here says. Trusting the Lord is the way out of fearing man. You trust Him for your justifying verdict. That declaration that you are righteous and accepted in the Beloved. Not based on your performance, but based on the performance of another. So you don't need to perform to please in the in the sense of trying to win or secure acceptance. Rather, you seek to please the Lord out of acceptance that you have guaranteed to you in Christ because he is forever pleased with you in this sense in the beloved based on the merits of Christ resting in all that he has done to earn acceptance before God. And when we are falsely accused or our name and reputation is marred by the false accusations of men, we trust in the God of justice who will vindicate us on the day of judgment. And speaking of this, we finally come to the last verse, verse 26. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. So seeking the face of a ruler means to seek justice from him, which is appropriate because God has put these men in place for that purpose. They don't bear the sword for nothing. But, as most of us are probably aware, the justice system isn't always just. This is why our hearts must seek and trust in our perfectly just and righteous king who knows us 
who loves us, who will give justice, and who will execute perfect justice. And any justice we get on this earth, in the meantime, is ultimately from Him. We can trust Him for this because He is the one who so concerned for His justice had His Son crushed in our place so that justice may be satisfied. And so we rejoice that we do not receive God's justice against our sin because that's already been satisfied in Christ, but rather we receive only His mercy. And so may this be the ultimate and primary motivation to put away our sin and to walk before the Lord with a humble and holy heart. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to trust you with our hearts, as even Pastor Doug prayed, that we would turn from sin, not because of mere consequences, but because we love you, because you first loved us, and you still love us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.